When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, is the skeptic, the voice of the people, the little devil on my shoulder, Kristen Stuttered. Hey, Kristen. He he he. It's me, a little devil. She's up to mischief, it sounds like. I'm up to no good. Kristen. Yes. We're wrapping up a month here. Yep. And that month is... Oh boy, I don't know. Is it still Musiptember excellence? Musiptember excellence, yes. <clears throat> to be candid, we haven't done a ton of episodes on theme this month. We're wrapping it up, but we did a lot of reruns. We took a detour to talk about the uh, list of ceremony guests, but we're back on track for our final week of Musiptember excellence. And we've got an old friend with us. Happy to have him with us. He has been here to review induction ceremonies. He's been here to draft bullshit. He's been here to try and look into the future, deep into the future of the Rock Hall to determine classes. He is uh, a friend of ours in real life, but also is someone who is interested not just in music history, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame itself. I'd like to think our listeners know him. And if they do, I know they love him, Jameson Webb. Hey, Jameson. Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much. Uh, I've done a lot here in the podcast, and tonight I'm here to rain on your parade. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, a heel turn? What happened? Yeah, exactly. I love this. <laughs> Cue the music. Uh, no, so so happy to be back. Thank you both for welcoming me to your awesome podcast. Always, always, always. Now, Kristen... There's only two musical excellence inductees. Don't ask me. I'm like, okay. It was Jimmy. (laughs) I'm like, I know Jimmy Jam and Carrie Lewis are one of them. Pair of them. One of them collectively. The two, two. They're two for one. Um, Who else is doing uh, musical excellence? Is it somebody? Oh, Judas Priest. There you go. There you go. I did it. Yes, you did. Nailed it. Thanks. Right. And uh, that collection of inductees i think speaks to the real flexibility of this category now it doesn't have parameters anymore which is honestly very rock and roll yeah no it's rules, maybe the baby. most rock and roll thing that the hall has done <laughs> no rules just right it's like outback in that way um you look at you pulling out an old outback slogan <laughs> i'm uh, listen i'm willing to bet that's still in the mix so no rules just right yeah, Outback Steakhouse. Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. <laughs> just right. Yeah, that just was right? a big thing. Just Night? right. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Oh, anyway. yeah. Big 90s. And if you went there, it was on the coasters. You know, I'm a big chain restaurant guy. And to me, Outback Steakhouse <laughs> is towards, towards, towards the, top, the top? Of that, top of that chain of chains. Anyway, this category now is weird. It, it was always kind of weird, but especially with LL getting in in this category last year and Judas Priest this year. 
it's become partially a category for the artists that just are not going to get in through the ballot, but need to get in regardless. And what I want to do for this episode is I want to try and look into the future in an idealistic way. Mm-hmm. Where should this category go? What artists and which people should be included as this category goes forward? And I don't want to talk about the artists that have been nominated before, like a Judas or an LL Cool J, I just because... That opens the floodgates a little too much. I'd like to be a little bit more specific. So, so you yeah. don't want to talk about like Shaka Khan, for example. For example, like Shaka Khan, maybe Devo, like who knows some of these artists that might be on the ballot a bunch and then get pushed into this category. I mean, if we're going to guess who that is, then like, who knows who that could be. But I would like to narrow it down to be a little bit more specific. We've already done a Judas Priest episode, yes? Yeah, and I reran it a few weeks ago. Okay, great. You know, I listen to our show religiously all the but, time. You know, if you I see it's a rerun, I'm just not going to mm-hmm. listen. That mm-hmm. just that's that that one time I am going to skip it. Um, I, okay, I great. felt like we didn't need to revisit Judas Priest. Beautiful. Okay, that's why I was curious. I was like, so yeah, we yeah. are not Instead, talking about Judas Priest. I'd like mm-hmm. the topic of conversation today to be uh, who should be inducted as musical excellence. I'm sure that you have some framework through which we are going to view this. So I will just let you bring that, but I have my, yeah. Thoughts, yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of breaking this down into three categories. Session players, which harkens to the sideman of it all. The fact that this category used to be called sideman. I think there's still many session musicians who should be considered. We saw Randy Rhodes last year, who's maybe not a traditional session musician, but was a was Ozzy Osbourne's sideman, you know? And then producers, we're seeing with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis this year, the more musically inclined producers are being included in this category. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of non-performery uh, producers seem to go in the non-performer category. I'm thinking like Jimmy Iovine or Rick Rubin, I think eventually will probably go in as a non-performer, mm-hmm. but it's not consistent. They might put them in a musical excellence. It's hard to tell. And then the third category is kind of the undefinable, which to me is the most interesting category. Ooh, the undefinable. Yeah, immediately I was thinking producers and I was like, we've kind of like hit on this in the past. The idea Mm -hmm. that that's coming, especially with more hip hop acts getting in, we'll have Mm -hmm. to kind of reckon with the role of producer and kind of the absolute just artistry of production that has come into Mm -hmm. production in particular within that genre. So yeah, glad we'll talk about that. And for this particular conversation that might be jumping ahead a little bit too far, Mm. just because... Oh, we're talking about already eligible. Well, I mean, that's the thing about this category is there's no eligibility requirements. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like you can kind yes, of yes, if they put generally. somebody in who it hadn't been 25 years that they had been like notably in the industry, that would just be has that happened before? No, I don't think so. Yeah. But it's yeah, you would have to judge it based on their production discography, I guess. Joe, do you feel like the line of demarcation for this whole kind of kerfuffle was the Ringo Starr in induction? Is that kind of what blew open the you know what? It's not just now we're more flexible about this and that. I mean, where, you know, because like, like what was the year or the induction that went, oh, okay, they're going to kind of play fast and loose with this. I think that's, that's a good assessment that Ringo really like 
okay, I don't know what we're doing. Cause they had rebranded Sideman as musical excellence uh, around the time Leon Russell got in in that as that designation, which made sense. Cause like, yes, he is a side man, but he had a solo career and he mm-hmm. was a songwriter and he did like a lot of different stuff. It's hard to define musical excellence is actually a good descriptor for someone like Leon Russell. And then it got a little confusing the next year because they put in a few non performing engineer slash producers like Glenn Johns, like Tom Dowd, like Cosmo Matassa. And so then it was like, well, that seems like there's a category for that. And that further got complicated the next year when they inducted Quincy Jones as a non-performer. So it's like, we just put in these producers, engineers who aren't performers. And then the next year we put in a producer who is kind of a performer. So it's, it's never been consistent. And then by 2015, when Ringo, it was just like, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I do know what you're doing. You just want Ringo and then Paul at the ceremony to get people excited. Do you think that they, did they ever put Ringo on the ballot though? No. No, no. It's just, I don't know why they wouldn't have just put him on the, I guess it, you know, would have taken away a slot from somebody else, which is boo, but you just put more people in, which they did anyway, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is like, I guess there would have been a little bit of a conversation around how can I vote for Ringo's solo career? Whereas if you put him in the side category, you can be like, that includes everything. Mm-hmm. Got yeah, I, think. I mean, yeah. that's all, I don't know. But the, but the other thing is, as we know, if Ringo had been on the ballot, everybody would have voted for him just because it's Ringo. Like it would not, yeah. nobody would have been too hung up about the specifics or the minutiae about like his solo career. Some people yeah. would have, yeah. but not enough. But not the ones that, could, yeah. could tip the scales. Not yeah, at exactly. Large. Not the ones exactly. that count. The yeah. ones we'd have on our show, the ones that, that we would interview would be like hemming and hawing, like, I mean, uh-huh. just take a look at the actual solo career. Right, right, right. He wasn't um, at Mercer Street. Um, but that uh that final category, the undefinable, is like kind of the Leon Russell or like the Billy Preston or now Rogers, people whose careers span beyond just one thing. And even if there's just someone who's important that it's hard to just put them in any category. Mm-hmm. And then also I just, just to make a note, Dr. Dre, Brian, Eno, they're in already artists like that, that are, you know, not kind of not the priority. So those are the the general guidelines of, of, of what I'm thinking for the inductees to be considered for the, for this thing. And also worth mentioning 1 million names that could be in this discussion tried to winnow it down, tried to think about people who are alive. There's certainly some white guys in here. Tried to think beyond that as much as as I could. Mm-hmm. But any thoughts before we begin? Can we induct Ringo again? Yeah. Could he be in the could he be in the Clapton Club? Let's get Ringo in. Let's get him in. Let's as get him a, a second um, musical excellence. Okay. First was a side man. Now I, we're gonna get him in as an undefinable. Uh-uh. We're putting him in the non-performer category. It's going to make just as much sense. And that's what we're going to do. We're Can putting we, him in the new Shining Time it? Station cast member category. Yeah, exactly uh, what I was going to say. Can we induct him because of his work with Thomas as a sideman to Thomas the Tank Engine? Ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are all thoughts and they're stupid. All right, let's start off with, let's go the kind of traditional route, the sideman route, the session man route. And would we, listen, we've brought this up many times before. Any conversation about who should be inducted as musical excellence should start with Carol Kay. Yes. She's number, she's, oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? 
We like, brought it up so many times. It's insane. It's, I mean, especially with people like Hal Blaine, who I believe is is an inductee for musical excellence, right? Like, well, when it was called when it was called Sideman, and Side you know, Side if you look at like the Rock Hall's website, they reverse designate some of those. You'll see it. Hal Blaine is musical excellence, but at the time it was called Sideman. The categories have just morphed into each other. Yeah, but yes, I, I, what you're saying, her contemporaries all were shuffled in immediately the first year they decided to do this category. And you know yeah. something, I mean, this this is just to add one more thing for Carol Kay, you know, who obviously her her base work on Pet Sounds and you know numerous albums throughout the sixties and seventies. But I was just reading this earlier to kind of prep for this. She played acoustic guitar on La Bamba the Richie mm-hmm. um, Valens, Valens recording. Wow. She played acoustic rhythm guitar. And I read that and that just blew my mind because that's this. That's not like a big part of the song though. No, it's not, but, but. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm I mean, kidding. It's, but it, it matters. <laughs> I hope Carol, you know, for Carol Kay, it was a big part. Um, it's just interesting because she is so connected with kind of that studio wizardry, the Wrecking Crew, the the Brian Wilson, and you know these really ornate orchestral kind of uh, uh, like Phil Spector wall of sound, you know, all, all that of, stuff yeah. that we associate with kind of rock and roll taking that next step up. But she was there. I mean, she was there. You know, I mean, Jesus, you know, Richie Valens, dated music died. I mean, a pioneer of it. She was there playing. It it just adds one more thing to where it's like, how can you not include her? And again, not that her acoustic guitar work on La Bamba is the defining thing of the song, but my God, I mean, she's been doing music excellence since they were doing the music in the first place. It's it's a real ridiculous thing that she's not in. Well, and when you look at her contemporaries, it's like, what is what is the holdup here? It, and also they for for an institution that has such a gender problem, I'm sure it'll all come up. But she's like our number one snub in this category, I would mm-hmm. say for maybe sure. overall. Yeah, maybe every, if you're including every category, it's just because, like you said, for an institution that has such a gender problem, this is such a slam dunk. It should satisfy everybody. Is she still alive? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. let's go. And she's 87. Why are we continuing to not do this? And mm-hmm. like, if it's a matter of like, she won't show up, who gives a shit? Then just as you do with the inductees who aren't there for whatever reason, you just make that part short in the ceremony. It's easy legitimacy points. It's easy cred with anybody who knows anything. Just God, it needs to happen. And I can't believe we're still having this conversation. This is where I would like to see McCartney throw around his weight a little bit because he's on record as, as being a Carol K fan. And he's, he's on record as, you know, some of her bass lines, you know, opening up for him what the bass, you know, instrument could could be in the studio setting. And in the same way that he was like, hey, let's get Ringo in there. It'd be nice for Macca. And I can call him that. I've seen him <laughs> in concert twice. It'd be nice for Macca to, you know, step up and say, Let's do the right thing. Let's get Carol Kay in there. I'll be there. I'll I'll induct it. I'll do the speech. I'll do the damn thing. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's too busy. He's lobbying for the triple induction for Ringo right now. So he's got his hands full. <laughs> he got his hands full. <laughs> got his hands full. You know, also, and I hope that you repost on our socials the uh, that video of her. Teaching Gene Simmons how to do bass correctly. Like absolutely just schooling him because that is a great piece of footage. Um, the next name that I have, I think, s- speaks to 
one of the most ignored part of the rock and roll song experience, which is backup singers. There's uh, no backup singers who are inducted into the rock hall. I mean, you, beyond Darlene Love, who, yeah. you know, on some level, she wasn't inducted as music, musical excellence, though, you know, because at this point, she's a name. She got in through the ballot. But I do think she, had, she, she was, had that. Did she get in after the doc? Did she get that? Doc no, bump? no. Her induction oh. is in is in the doc. Ah. But another woman who's in 20 feet from stardom, who I think should get in is a woman named Mary Clayton, if not just for being the female voice in Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Like one oh my of gosh. the most powerful performances in rock and roll history. And in that movie, you you learn the story of how I believe she was woken up and was like in curlers and was really tired. And it was like in the middle of the night and she just showed up, nailed it, was screaming, rape, murder, blew everyone away. Mick Jagger's like jaw was on the floor. And then she like was like, all right, later. She was like, all right, back to bed. Yeah. But, you know, Mary Clayton was also a Ray Lett, one of Ray Charles backup singers. Mm-hmm. She's also one of the female voices you hear in the background of Sweet Home Alabama. By Leonard Skinner. Jeez, she has really propped up a bunch of uh, <laughs> white male careers. Let's go. Ray, Ray. Oh I no, mean, not Ray. But I'm just thinking of. Yes, I'm for thinking sure. Of, she's she's of, lent her talent. White bands. Yeah. No, yes. I mean so, and you know, she was revered. Also, I'm so sorry. People. I did just open her Wikipedia page, and in 2014, she provided vocals for G Love and the Special Sauces album "Sugar." She's still working. It just jumped out at me. <laughs> and, and Mary Clayton is another one who she is still with us, and everybody knew that she was great, from Ray Charles to Mick Jagger. Let's let's get her in there. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's she was on the Ringo Starr song "Oh My My." So. Oh my, my. Again, going off of Ringo kind of being the standard that we have to live up to for anyone to get a musical excellence. Let's get Mary in just off of that. Okay. And honestly, a lot of the name, I think a lot of the names I'm going to talk about, a good amount of them are going to be connected to Ringo in some way because he did utilize really good session players. And yeah, I know you just told kind of the apocryphal story of her recording Gimme Shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say. In the personalized section of her Wikipedia, it says Clayton had a miscarriage upon returning home from recording Gimme Shelter, according Oof. to the Los Angeles Times. Jesus. So yeah. she really she really gave it all for Goddamn. Uh, uh, for that, which is that's just like a wild factoid to just throw at the end in the personalized section on a Wikipedia page. Uh, put her in the hall. Put her Good in God. the hall. Do it. Um, and then I'm so sorry. Also, in 2014, she was critically injured in a car accident and both of her legs have been amputated at the knees. Whoa. <laughs> Definitely put her in. <laughs> the personal life section of the wiki page is is full of uh tragedy. Can we please throw this lady a bone? I Jeez. mean, get her in the hall. She's she's suffered enough. Truly. Oh yeah, she was also on a Coldplay album. So I mean, really, yeah, so just exactly. help she's really, this she's woman been... out. Come on, what is left? No, she get her in. Those are like my maybe my top two picks. Another name, and this is listen, this is a deceased white man, but still, I think his career 
was really interesting. And his name's Nicky Hopkins. And he was a piano player. He's on every Rolling Stones album from 1967 to 1981. Oh, wow. He was essentially a member of the Rolling Stones. And his piano playing is very prominent in a lot of huge songs. For example, She's a Rainbow has an iconic piano riff. That's all him. That's Nicky Hopkins. That's Nicky Hopkins. Uh, Monkey Man has like this little haunting piano opening. Anytime you hear a piano from in that era, which is the prime era of the Stones, their best albums, it's Nicky Hopkins. And here's the thing before that, and this reminds me of Billy Preston, who also played with like yeah. the Beatles and the Stones. Before Nicky Hopkins was playing with the Rolling Stones, he was on all the best Kinks records. Yep. So he's on wow. Village Green. He's on something else. He's on Face to Face. And then I thought you were just like, and he's on something else. I'll think of what the name is later. <laughs> the album's called Something Else. Uh, yeah. It's a great one. He's also on, you know, he they tried to get him to join the Who at one point, mm-hmm. and he is on some Who tracks. It's over. It's all behind me. Nielsen, Lennon, and so on and so on. He's like there at a lot of great albums from great bands. I think he'd be the perfect, and he had a solo career as well with some some good songs. He also played on several of L. Ron Hubbard's musical recordings. I'm reading here, so <laughs> um, Jameson, Jameson, so maybe, don't say that. You know, wait maybe, for uh, real. Yes. A gig. Uh, oh dear. Yeah, you know it's incredible. I I. When you think of the Rolling Stones pianists, the first one I think of is Ian Stewart, who I think was even inducted he as was a inducted. member of the Stones. He was. But you, you're right looking at this, because I remember there's a famous story about, I forget which song it was, it might have been Moonlight Mile or something, but Ian Stewart's whole thing was, I, I don't play minor chords. I mean, he was a very just like blues, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like barrel yeah. house piano kind of player. And I'm looking now at some of the the many, many great, great piano parts that Nicky Hopkins played. I mean, Loving Cup, piano intro on that is just, un- I mean, just mm-hmm. incredible stuff, Waiting on a Friend. This is another one where it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you know, and it, it's too bad he's not with us, but maybe then we don't have to unpack the potential Scientology connection there. I was just going to say, if he died a Scientologist, and it looks like he did, you know, maybe he's <laughs> on his... Uh, he's on his voyage he's to on his planet. Uh, yeah. This will give him a little something to check in with, so <laughs> let's do it. Another artist who played with some of the best bands and musicians is a bass player named Klaus Vorman, who he weaves his way through music history in a very interesting way, very close with the Beatles. Yeah, Klaus is one of those guys that's there from the early days and um, even after the band, you know, and was part of the band's history. Uh, he, he did the album cover for Revolver. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's was a talented a illustrator. Yeah. A talented illustrator. He's done, um, I, I think, some other illustrations for, for different albums. But, you know, when the band broke up and went their separate ways, Klaus was, you know, this guy that kept popping up. And, I mean, he plays uh based on imagine and uh, i think instant karma and a lot of uh he's on all over all things must pass i mean he's a very big part of the beatles solo world they entertained for a moment 
and this would have been such a dick move, but forming a new band, just everybody but Paul, and now Klaus is on bass. <laughs> Which is like, but that gives you an idea of he was essentially considered, you know, there, there's well, a lot of you people. You look who at are, a picture of him in 1967, he looks like he could be in the Beatles. He really, he's, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was, he'd fit right in, right in there. Like, yeah, like Jameson said, lived with them, like was yeah. just one of their buddies, was right in step with them. And he also, I'm looking here, you know, he, he played with Manfred Mann, which, you know, is one of those bands that kind of occupies that thing of oh yeah you know everyone loves them probably not going to get recognized yeah. by the hall in a, an official capacity but yeah he's uh, uh i think not just because of you know the the musical part but i feel like for the rock hall the, understandably the the beatles mythology and the lore and the world of the beatles is so alluring and so mm-hmm. anytime you can get some beatles centric moment at a rock hall ceremony why would they, you know, pass that up? And Klaus, mm-hmm. who I believe is still with us. He is still with uh, us, yeah. Thankfully. That's another thing. Um, all the more reason, you know, to get him in there and to uh, acknowledge the great work he did. And then another thing that uh, builds his case is his first solo album was called A Sideman's Journey. Yeah, right, right, right. So, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he really, yeah, and the sideman's that journey role. to musical excellence. He evolved hey with the category, you know? uh, but and it goes beyond the Beatles too. I mean, that uh, iconic opening to "You're So Vain," where it's just like a bass going like do 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 do. That's mm-hmm. Klaus, uh, and he's on, you know, Lou Reed uh, albums. He's on uh, Nielsen, like you name it. Randy he's, Newman, mm-hmm. uh, he's all over. Yeah, I mean, really one of those guys that it, it's kind of funny. And I think he's maybe not thought of because he doesn't have a flashy style, right? He's not one of those virtuosos on the instrument that I mm-hmm. think it's easy to kind of overlook his very understated but melodic style. And that you're so vain baseline uh, and intro is like a perfect encapsulation of, of that. Mm-hmm. Plus, what a great name. I mean, can you just imagine, you know, Klaus Vormann, Klaus Vormann in the rock hall. I <laughs> I like it quite a bit. <laughs> and then there, there's a there's a few other guys who are kind of satellites to the kind of scene of the Nicky Hopkins, Klaus Vormann scene. I mean, basically any of those dudes who were playing with Carol King at the ceremony last year, Danny Korchmar, Russ Kunkel, Leland Sklar, like those guys are all over James Taylor, Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Carol King uh, have played, you know, Danny Korchmar wrote, he's probably of all of them, he's probably positioned to be the most likely to get inducted because he really like, he, I think he wrote a number of popular Don Henley songs in the 80s when Don Henley was like, broke out huge. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you know uh, New York Minute... Dirty Laundry. Cooch. Danny Cooch. Right. You might know him. Yeah, another one of those guys, you know, and and Wadi Wachtel, I believe I'm saying that correct, is Mm -hmm. another Mm of that L.A. scene of guys that never had the big solo hit, never had the big band that they were kind of fronting, but Wadi Wachtel. Is he a creep? Yes. Okay. Uh, Wadi is? Wadi, yeah, has oh. a child porn allegations. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. That are, it's pretty well known. Really? But, um, <laughs> oh, I, believe no. he, I believe he pled no contest. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like oh, people. Oh no! Can t- it's he- under Wikipedia under legal problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, legal problem. You know, I've been his thing. I'm sure I saw legal problem. Just was like, oh, I've been got into a fight with like a neighbor over a tree. Oh were, like, God, no, no, issues. don't put this guy in. No, yeah. I know that's it. That's Jesus. the thing. Is that no. There's sometimes people who really fit <sighs> fit the bill. Like there's another guy named Jack Nietzsche who like worked with the Stones and worked with Neil Young, but uh, he also committed rape. So we don't uh, don't need to consider those guys at all. You know, all we right. can just flush I'm, them uh, down in the toilet. Don't care about your contributions. More like but, potty walk tell. This guy is fucking piece <laughs> of shit. the damn crapper. In damn. the toilet. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to start to... Before hey, no, I mention listen, any names now, one, of, one of his search. fellow friends said there's no way that Stevie would have had him in her band if she thought he was guilty of any wrongdoing. Because famously, you know, creeps are creepy to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bad people do things to everyone. They don't just uh, exploit yeah. people and also, in secret. Famously, celebrities wouldn't look the other way if it was convenient for them uh, and their career. That's not uh, absolutely never happened. Ever, no. never ever happened. Sorry, don't worry. but that is not a thing that happens. Don't do you know worry. Was... did the score for Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> oh my god! And the House Bunny and a whole bunch of movies. Holy cow! All righty. All right. Well. That brings him back for Let's you. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. That's, in that, that case, well, we are talking musical excellence. Um, wow. uh, we know All what. Right. Why don't we actually, now we have a, a, a dirty taste in our mouth. Why don't we take Ugh. a quick quick break and we'll come back. We'll refresh. Maybe I'll walk around the house a little bit. Uh, and then we come back. We'll, we'll be feeling better. So we'll be right back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We hope you had a nice break. We hope you uh, cleansed your palate from thinking about certain unsavory characters. But now I kind of want to like bring up <laughs> bring up more uh, scandals like a oh great boy. session. Great session drummer, member of Derek and the Dominoes, Jim Gordon stabbed his mom to death because a voice in his head told him to. So oh, maybe dear. You don't, maybe you don't consider <laughs> 
But that sounds like mental illness. Yeah, that's, that sounds that's like an issue. he had a psychotic break and that sounds bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, right. if he stabbed his mom because he was like jealous that she was sleeping with his dad, then we'd be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's that is a little yeah. different. But still, but I is, would still say it's awful to murder someone. Bad. Murder is bad. I'm going to say it. Not murder is bad. Great. Anyway, uh, we're, we're still kind of talking about session musicians. You know, you mentioning the, the drummer, Jim Gordon, remind me of the drummer, Jim Keltner. Absolutely. And Jim Keltner, a a great uh, session drummer. I think the, who is it? Someone had the Jim Keltner fan club that they printed in like their album. Like if you want information on the Jim Keltner fan club, I forget who he was playing with. It was someone uh, like but he's George played Harrison. With every, he's played with everybody. Play with everybody. He was the drummer for the Traveling Willberries, which you know, in other words, makes him the only member of supergroup Traveling Willberries who is not a <laughs> superstar. Right. It's uh, like but- you you get the you get the best people together. Who's the drummer they want? They want Jim Keltner. Call Jim Keltner. Here we go. Yes, on the um, Harrison's Living in the Material World and Ringo Starr's album Ringo, each contained a note encouraging fans to join the Jim Keltner fan club by sending a stamped undressed elephant to an address in Hollywood in their <laughs> typical Those. Beatles-esque humor. Uh, but yeah, but he's someone that just comes to mind. You go through his stuff, and again, he's all over the the great 70s work of Carly Simon, Dylan, playing with uh, Steely Dan. If we're going to talk about Session Drummond Jim's, he's one that I don't think has homicide on his rap sheet. So <laughs> that, that automatically bumps yeah, him up. Matricide, technically. Yeah. You don't get to use that uh, word too often, but. Yeah, you really don't. <laughs> Two other guys who I think they're an interesting case of, they're each associated with a band, but this is a band that likely will not be getting in. The band is King Crimson, mm-hmm. and the two members are Robert Fripp, who was a founder and then left, and then Adrian Ballou, I believe I'm saying it right? Mm-hmm. Bell you, and something, like yeah. something like that. And those are two guys who are part of that Brian Eno universe where they're playing with Bowie. Robert Fripp is responsible for a large portion of the guitar sound on the song Heroes, which is one of the all-time great recordings. He also played with uh, Peter Gabriel, Adrian Ballou, is on Remain in Light by Talking Heads. The guitar on the oft-sampled "Genius of Love" by Tom Tom Club. He's all over what? Paul Simon's Graceland. Yeah, the one of my favorite know. songs. Yeah, uh, yeah. One Just of the two best. guys that you know. I think, uh, and they're always anytime you talk about influential guitars, these are guys that tend to pop up on the list as. Mm especially in that post-punk kind of, um, you know, really treating your guitar and running it through effects and doing all that stuff. They're guys that come up and really brought that sound to some landmark boundary-breaking albums of the 70s and 80s. I'm not going to bother to Google their, <laughs> their <laughs> I think they're clean. Or legal trouble. Okay, good. I think um, they're clean. I can't say with uh, complete confidence. One thing I wonder with Fripp, especially, because Fripp was like the leader of king crimson like one of the founders if not the founder you know he is i would say the name you associate most with king crimson i would think they would give the band a shot on the ballot first although you're also wondering like you know this is a band that was formed in 69 like are, are we past it um it, 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 i would it feels have thought. A, yeah it feels a bit especially in the recent years with the 
let's get Deep Purple and some of these kind of perennial great guitar bands. And even though King Crimson was coming from a different place, it feels a bit, they feel a bit in the same world as like an Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you know what? Probably not going to get that call. Right. Uh, I mean, and, as and straight out artist. Literally Lake comes out of King Crimson. He was that's, one oh, of the great. original, original vocalist and, and bassist. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just because I wonder if King Crimson could get in. I know they didn't have a ton of like hits that people still hear a lot, but off of the respect for someone like Fripp and some of the other musicians, it makes me wonder. But Bell Yu, you know, he joined King Crimson like in the 80s. So it's like he is a whole different band. And, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. And then one other one I'm going to throw out just to go back to the backing vocalists a bit and talking about how they don't get that kind of respect and love. Uh, is is a combo that was known as the Sweet Inspirations. Dionne Warwick was a member of them early on. She left and really wasn't a part of their big uh, studio session work. I think her sister Dee Dee um, mm-hmm. wasn't was still a member of them, but Sissy Houston, who is Whitney Houston's mother, mm-hmm. um, was kind of the cornerstone of the Sweet Inspirations. They're the backing vocals on Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. <laughs> Sing with Dusty Springfield on Dusty in Memphis. They are part of the choir on all these things that I've done by the Killers in recent years. That's a that's a funny. I did not know that. Interesting. You know, we're kind of in a little bit of a Elvis revisiting right now and a reappraisal of Elvis, mm-hmm. good and bad. Yeah, we just and love you, him now. Did you see the movie? He was a um, civil rights activist. He was, apparently. The movie taught me a lot about Elvis that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, yeah. But watching one of the, uh, but you know, what, what it did do is make me seek out some of uh, the concert films. And one of them was um, Elvis, That's the Way It Is, I think. And um uh, the Sweet Inspirations were his, you know, part of his, along with the Jordanaires or whatever they were, part of his backing mm-hmm. vocalist during his his first round of Vegas shows. And anyway, just when we think about them on these landmark recordings, them doing these famous concerts with the king of rock and roll, it feels like, uh, and especially with the Whitney Houston connection, the Warwick mm-hmm. connection, all of that, it feels like they maybe are are due for some kind of look for, as you mentioned, a, a talent that maybe the uh, Rock Hall has overlooked, which is the backing vocalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you brought up the Jordanaires as well. They were, you know, with Elvis from early, early on and are, are on a lot of those famous records. And then, right, the, this this group as well, especially when he was doing those TV specials, the Sweet Inspirations were always part of the mix. Speaking of backing and also just like kind of helping the hall be a little more, I don't know, diverse, you know, we've and they have been on the ballot before, have they not, the JBs? Yes. And so there's artists like the JBs and the meters, similarly, who have careers as artists themselves, but also had some work as backup as a backup group as well. The hall knows about them, obviously. They've wound up on the ballot. So worth worth a little asterisk note, but we don't need to, I think, necessarily get into them mm-hmm. too much. Yeah, because this this episode is about informing the hall. <laughs> Listen, what they need to do. Hey, people, listen, I'm not it, saying that we have no power. <laughs> I'm I, not saying that. But we're, yeah, we're not saying we do have power. Just 
it's almost like we're putting together a little cheat sheet. We're putting together a little spark yeah, notes. If somebody wanted to look very cool at the next nominating meeting and just like have a whole bunch ready to go. Somebody mm-hmm. wanted to lobby to get themselves on the musical excellence committee. Somebody yeah. who listens to the show. Klaus Foreman, I know you're listening. You're probably doodling, <laughs> you know, on your, you know, doing a little revolver uh, doodle and you're going, yeah, that has a nice ring to it. Klaus so Foreman. Cool. <laughs> musical to excellence. Musical excellence. I, I like this. Perfect Klaus impression. Thank uh, you. For those, if you know, you know. All right, let's talk about producers. Let's go into the producer category. For me, top of the list, and these are producers and songwriters and artists themselves, so maybe a little more of a hybrid, but I'm saying Ashford and Simpson. And I've brought them up before, but man, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't nothing like the real thing. All the, the Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell classics. And like, and so, so on and so forth. Like, I'm every woman. woman. Get the fuck out of here. Not to mention they did have their own career and had a number of hits. The biggest one I would say is probably solid. solid. Solid And I think especially with, with Ashford's passing, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's that thing of like let's let's celebrate them. You know, let's mm-hmm. celebrate uh, while while and uh, she's, Valerie Simpson yeah, she's still, with still us. alive. She mm-hmm. is not young. So, no, but let's Valerie go. Simpson is still with us. And like yep. it is, I gotta say, trying to make a list of producers that are women that have Hall of Fame worthy careers is not an easy task. But Valerie Simpson, nobody's gonna argue that. And, and so, I think to keep her out any longer would be foolish completely agree get her you know again you mentioned some of those songs but it's not like you know they they wrote some incredible and i'm not saying this would be a disqualifier but it's not like they wrote some incredible songs for some artists who you know maybe were one hit wonders and didn't have the sustainability it's you know marvin Gaye, tammy terrell who would have done incredible stuff had had she you, you know still been with us diana ross uh shaka khan i mean just again artists who are so foundational to not just the rock hall, but also the way the rock hall has evolved the way that we think of rock music and, mm-hmm. and how other things fit into it. They are part of the arch, uh, architects of that. They're, you know, they're up there with Holland Dozier and, and um, Gamble and Huff and, uh, yeah. and, and uh, Barnes and Noble and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and no, no, no. And... But, mm-hmm. but they're up there with, with the ones who, made the sound that Arm these people were able to step into. <laughs> yes, exactly. Marvin Hamlish. Um, L- Lachey and Simpson. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, uh, and then another group, and they, we, it's come up on this show many times, but they are producers. They're also songwriters, occasional performers, and one of them is still with us, I mean, I hate to say hanging on by a thread, but the man is old and it's Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Put him in, put him in, and then put uh, Dion our in. gal Dion in. Let's do it all. Mm-hmm. None of them are young. But we talk about Dion a lot. And with that, you know, the collaboration between her and Bacharach and David, it bore so much fruit in terms of great songs and songs that were super popular. And then also, you know, Beyond Dion, you know, Dusty Springfield, obviously, that, you know, comes up a lot when we're trying to argue for people to vote for Dion when they're uh, skeptical. 
And then, you know, so, so many other great songs for other artists, Jackie DeShannon, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or Beckrock is still alive. Holy shit. Let's just, you know, let's do, do it. This. it. You know, they're also, I'm looking here at the Gershwin Prize, which the Library of Congress awards mm-hmm. to people who have, um, you know, made contributions to American song or whatever it is. And inaugural inductee, Paul Simon. Absolutely. 2009, Stevie Wonder. 2010, Paul McCartney. The fourth year they did it, who were they honoring? Bacharach and Hal David. Uh, again, you know, I think they get a bad rap sometimes because we don't think of them in that rock medium as much you know certainly mm-hmm. yeah. we think of them more, as having a, a, a easier listening sound yeah it's exactly. more sophisticated than it is edgy more pop more you know all mm-hmm. that stuff but polish yeah there's no and you know and they have i mean noel gallagher of oasis has gone on record as talking about how much he loved you know burt Bacharach and hal david are one of his favorite songwriting team burt Bacharach is one of his favorite songwriters he's he's written songs trying to write a burt Bacharach song i'm not saying that noel gallagher is the the end all be all but <laughs> but you know the white stripes covered a, a right i just don't know what, just don't know what to do with myself so like it's not just like well you know what it was music that resonated in the sixties and we've kind of moved on and ha ha he's in Austin powers and all that. It's like, no, 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 no. There, there are artists, resonates. Exactly. The last 25, 30 years who have gone to that well and found some great music. And then I would like to, now this next name is someone who I think honestly would be inducted as a non-performer, but they are a producer. And I just want to bring them up because I did not know about them. And I feel foolish for not knowing about them, but this is the guy who produced like a rolling stone for Bob Dylan, he took the sound of silence, which was on this record by Simon and Garfunkel that had bombed and nobody was buying it. And he added a band to it to make it not just a folk song, but make it a rock song. And then that like brought their career back and made it a hit. Signed Velvet Underground, signed Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. It's a guy named Tom Wilson. and He's a black guy. Like I was, I was reading all this and I was like, how do I not know about this guy? And he's connected to so many artists that are exalted by the hall, Mm -hmm. you know, and Dylan has, has said so many great things about him and he's credited with bringing Bob Dylan to rock and roll. They say, you know, I'm looking here. I didn't realize he passed away so young. He passed away in his late forties in 1978. And I got to imagine that's part of maybe why he's, I don't want to say been forgotten, but he's not talked about in the same way of the George Martin or some of the producers that were able to keep doing work more in the modern right. era. But yeah, exactly to your point. I mean, almost just for his work with Dylan alone and getting that that thin mercury sound as Dylan uh, described it with with that melding of organ and piano and um, and guitar, finding that sound, shaping that sound, and doing something very similar. I'm reading here that even though Andy Warhol was the quote-unquote producer of the first Velvet album, right? He was really the one, Tom Wilson was really the one in there. Of course, you know, the famous line maybe was never actually said about the Velvet Underground first album, only Mm -hmm. whatever, Mm -hmm. 5,500 people bought it, but they all formed bands, whatever that saying is. Well, look, you you have to give some of that huge credit to Tom Wilson for taking some very challenging music, and presenting it in a way that still resonated with people of that time. 
Well, and also if we're talking about kind of, you know, we we keep coming back to like the Beatles and the Stones and like all these bands that are just so uh, at the core of like what's beloved and, you know, lauded by the hall. Dylan is in the top five with yeah. that, you know, and so that's it's like Springsteen, the Stones, the Beatles and then what? David Dylan, Bowie maybe yeah. and Dylan it's like that's the top five of like who's gonna um being in their orbit should be enough to at least get you on the radar it is interesting I think you're right about like the you know not having necessarily a long a long a long life but that would be a really excellent way to bring some uh you know acclaim to this mm -hmm. name yeah I in. also will say and I mean this isn't necessarily but it is I think also the name Tom Wilson, it's like there were five different delineations on Wikipedia. I think also <laughs> not having necessarily like a, mm -hmm. uh, uh, having quite a common name, I think uh, could also in some ways negatively affect kind of legacy. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, the Thomas F. Wilsons of the world uh, have yeah. overshadowed the Tom Wilsons. Yeah. Well, like you put world. in Tom Wilson, there you is ice this. hockey record producer, basketball musician, yeah. DJ cartoonist, footballer born 1930, actor, curler, New Jersey lobbyist. Those wow. are the. That's, that's the Wikipedia landing page Wikipedia, for Thomas Wilson. Yeah. Amazing. You you put that in the search bar. It gives you a drop down of those mm -hmm. of those ones. <laughs> so, Wild. Uh, yeah. Quickly, just Kristen, because you mentioned Bowie is one of those names that we in the is hall. Is he lauded in the hall? I feel like he is. Yeah, I mean, like he didn't, he was very anti-Hall and he didn't just show up to his own induction and he didn't get inducted the first year of eligibility. Still though, I feel like it would be worth it for the Hall to induct this guy named Tony Visconti, who mm. not only produced a bunch of great Bowie albums, but produced all the great T-Rex albums as well. And the twist on him is he is an American. Say what? You wouldn't expect it, but he's just an American named Tony. He produced Black Star, which was like the last Bowie album too. So he he remained in the kind of family. And so he is someone that I think, you know, with T-Rex and Bowie, like the two glam guys, and he was, you know, working the boards for a lot of that stuff, I think worth, worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to throw out here, uh, as far as another producer uh, or production duo, uh, Sly and Robbie, Sly Dunbar oh and my Robbie gosh. Shakespeare. I who... watched the Grace Jones documentary because I saw Grace Jones on Sunday night and we mm. watched the documentary before we went to go see it. And uh, Sly and Robbie, they play on uh, the album that she's recording. Right, and yeah. They're, they're, and like, yeah, obviously they, they play on everything. Sound. If you've heard a reggae album, you've heard Sly and Robbie. They are the sound of reggae. They are without a doubt that they should abs this uh that is a really great pull that is a yeah. really great pick that is a no-brainer and they're still oh wait oh no one of them died i think robbie died yeah one one of them did pass away yeah and yes. i can't remember i think it's robbie one. shakespeare but yeah they i mean they're that great thing of not just producing but i mean <laughs> reggae is so much about the rhythm and mm -hmm. And they are that. I mean, they're they're you know in dub and all that. Um, mm -hmm. I think Robbie was the bassist, uh, bass player, Sly Dunbar, drummer, and you're exactly right. I mean, Grace Jones and pretty much any, not all, but a lot of the big dub reggae recordings of the '70s into the '80s and beyond. And they also, I think, which is I think in the context of the Rock Hall is important even though the Rock Hall has embraced reggae over the years with 
Bob Marley and Jimmy Cliff, they, you know, they play on Joker Man by Bob Dylan. They play uh, and produced on Hey Baby and Underneath It All by No Doubt. They're the guys that uh, they've done a lot of work, I believe, with Keith Richards there when we think about these big names that have kind of been the talents of their respective generations, whatever the case is, when they want to dip their toe into that reggae sound, Sly and Robbie were the guys that they called up and Mm -hmm. they just, again, make so much sense to me. And unfortunately, as one has passed, let's, let's do the right thing and celebrate Mm -hmm. um, them while we can. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the final name that we will talk about when it comes to producers is uh, Giorgio Moroder. Oh, yeah. You know, speaking of Bowie, Bowie like lost his mind when he heard I Feel Love because of what Giorgio was doing with the electronic beat playing with Donna Summer's voice. And yeah, Giorgio Moroder, in terms of like, when we talk about like, who are the most important, like foundational electronic musicians, Giorgio's up there. And he's gotten his flowers in recent years. You know, Daft Punk had the whole thing that him, you know, he narrates on Random Access Memories, Giorgio by Moroder, I think is what it is. In Germany, in 69, 70, they had already discotheques. So I would, but take he, my you know, he's someone to as EDM and dance, uh, um, the electronic dance music and, and all that kind of stuff has been really popping up on the mainstream pop charts. It's like, yeah, this is where it started. It, it started with him and, and he really took it. I mean, you listen, I feel love today. It's still the arpeggiator. It's, still, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. And he wrote some big movies, songs in the 80s, mm-hmm. which some were Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. But <laughs> and Flashdance. Yeah. And flash dance, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, which are both two fine songs. But I mean, "Take My Breath Away" by Berlin, I think it's just an incredible song, and especially recording that he did. And he's very influential. You are right; he is much lauded. The picture on his Wikipedia page is literally Marauder with some of his awards in 2007, and it is a shelf <laughs> yeah, full he's, of awards. He's three Oscars. <laughs> You know, so (laughs) he is well celebrated. I'm like, I'm not furious that he's not in. I think he would be like, oh, isn't that nice? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that also. But I think deserving. Absolutely. I think innovative and really uh, exciting. Yeah. And and as the hall is going to and I know, you you know, this has been talked about on the show, but as the hall has to kind of in years to come start to, you know, again, reevaluate and redefine what rock is and what all that kind of stuff. This starts to lay the groundwork for those conversations where you start saying, yeah, this stuff that we always kind of put off as disco or European music or whatever the case is that eventually found its way really into the mainstream. It's because of guys like him. And so that helps to make the case, I think, years down the road when uh, Skrillex is up for... <laughs> Oh, did they, did they call him Skrillex now? I always called it what Skrillex. Wow, that makes me sound way, way more sophisticated. Yeah. Skrillex. Um, Well, and you know, like, for example, you just referenced them. Daft Punk will get in. Mm -hmm. That is a that is in a band that is getting in. There is no doubt about it. And there will be no uh, question like people Mm -hmm. won't be like, is this does this deserve? I think it's like they're just not going to be they will get right in. And are they eligible? 
They are, yeah, because they. I mean, they put out records in the early '90s, so. So, but know. I think once they get on the ballot, they're coming in, you know. Mm -hmm. But it is that'll be one of those things. In my somewhat expert opinion, uh, I think it's probably going to be a reverse trajectory, meaning that there will be more electronic artists in, and then we'll see more electronic producers like the yeah, pioneers potentially, go in. Potentially. much in the way that happened much in the way that happened with like hip-hop where it's like then we have hip-hop artists in and then they're like oh gil scott heron was foundational mm, to mm. that you know oh Kraftwerk was like foundational to that like things like that where you see kind of the reverse happen with these side categories almost like making up for what is going on in the main class uh that's yeah, what I, I i imagine potentially now, speaking of hip hop, I would like mm. to get to our kind of undefinable category of artists. And for me, and this is, if we're talking about everyone we've talked about. Is this going to be where we talk about hype men? Where like <laughs> Flava Flav gets in as a, in the side category. Uh, I am Flava Flav's in. I know he could have double you induction. Uh, so this is, I would probably put this guy second to Carol Kay overall in terms of who I think should be in the hall and that is dj cool herc uh-huh where it's like this is not somebody who really put out albums this was a guy who was a dj and he was doing it live but what he was doing live with the break this kind of thing he i hesitate to say he invented it but you know was one of the first people to loop songs like live with two records spinning it around so that the certain part of the song was repeating the fact that he kind of pioneered that and is such a foundation of what hip hop would be the fact that it was this thing called the break that he was doing by hand and he would as he was doing the break say a bunch of phrases that we now know as almost like stock hip hop phrases to the beat y'all and you don't stop <laughs> like all this shit like that comes from him and the break when he would do this people would dance and then he coined the phrases b-boys b-girls and breaking break dancing yeah breaking yeah and so and his style of djing is what grandmaster flash modeled his style on who africa bambata modeled his style on cool herc is god he has to get in like especially as we have recently, like you just said, Gil Scott Heron and Kraftwerk and trying to cover the spread of the influential hip hop people. DJ Cool Herc is at the top. And I don't see any, I mean, I guess early influence you could maybe say, but I think musical excellence is a, another That's a great category. place for him. That is a great place for him. And I'm just thinking, like, I think many of the hip hop artists that I'm thinking of too would kind of be in better suited to the new iteration of early influence, you know, like mm -hmm. a, um, a KRS one type of sure. uh, thing. But yeah, DJ Cole Herc, musical yeah, excellence. 100%. Let's go. Still with us, not old. He's 67 years old, which is, you <laughs> know, hip hop is new, y'all. Yeah, I know to, to, yeah. to some extent relatively yeah and got got started young no i doubt. think that joe, Ross, I think, right? joe just likes uh bands that spell cool with a k he like yes, he's cool out in the gang cool, cool in the gang dj cool, cool hurts yeah give, uh, give me all the the cools with a k get the cigarettes <laughs> why not 
speaking of names that you would spell with a C, but are spelled with a K. Oh, no. <laughs> there's a guy named Al Cooper, who I think I've brought up on the show before, spelled with a K. He is a really interesting figure, in my opinion. And he, I think, is perfect for this kind of musical excellence thing, like a Leon Russell or a Billy Preston, where he just did so many different things. He founded Blood, Sweat, and Tears and was with them for their first album. I ever leave you. You can say I told you so. And then he had his own solo career, which was relatively successful. But he was also a session guy. He is the organ on Like a Rolling Stone. He is the French horn on You Can't Always Get What You Want. He discovered Leonard Skinner and produced their first three albums. He is like all over the place. But everything he was doing was so... He was just playing his French horn on the corner in Alabama one day and the, <laughs> Leonard Skinner, the band members, walked by. Wow. Yeah, that is a that is a storied career. Yeah, I just... And I, I think, you know, he's, he's still with us. And uh, let's get some love on Al Cooper's name. Get him in. You know, the, the Al Cooper, like a Rolling Stone story, is a great one where he showed up in the studio and I think he was there to maybe play guitar or something and they said you know we're all good we don't we don't need you and they were starting to work on like a rolling stone and he sat down on the organ and had, i think if i'm correct had never played the organ before kind of figured it out on the fly with his musical training and kind of uh, intuition and of course you know the organ line of of like a rolling stone is incredible and and the cornerstone of the song that speaks to how just instinctively musical he he is. And you can see it in, you know, I mean, yes, it's all in the rock medium, but I'll say the variety of different acts that he's been involved with from your mm-hmm. blood, sweat and tears, your jazzy kind of rock to your, your Southern rock from Leonard Skinner. Get him in, get Coop in. Yeah. And like he may have been able to play the organ, but like nobody believed him. I think yeah, was or just, maybe they, they were just like, you don't, fuck off like right or he didn't even know the song i mean it was just basically like he found it in the moment um which yeah what what i'm reading is that the aforementioned tom wilson belittled cooper's organ skills (laughs) but did not forbid him to play Uh, hey he said he he sort of he sort of scoffed at me he didn't say no so i went out there and then uh yeah the rest is what a great producer does embarrass mm-hmm. you into uh <laughs> making history into making iconic yeah you know al cooper almost a, a zealot like character throughout rock and roll history uh and i know someone who you mentioned to me jameson also zealot like van dyke parks yeah van dyke parks he... vdp vdp um <laughs> you know i think i'm trying to think of maybe where to start with the entry point of like why he deserves to be in this conversation you know, I think maybe the most immediate thing is he was Brian Wilson's lyrical collaborator on the Smile, uh, Abandoned Smile album and some of the songs that came out of that. Um, so songs like Heroes and Villains really brought this uh, abstract expressionist, whatever kind of uh, stuff to his lyric writing. But he also had this, he was a young studio guy in the 60s. He played on, I think, a Bird's 
song. You know, there was talk, I think, of him joining the Birds potentially. And in the late 60s, he also, and into the early 70s solo stuff, he he's released these really kind of uh, pop, uh, ex- experimental pop albums, song, uh, albums like Song Cycle, which uh, I think was famously promoted as like, this album cost, it was like one of the most expensive albums ever because of all the studio wizardry on it for 1967 or 68 or whatever, and it flopped, but has gone on to be considered a very influential album, especially amongst newer bands with kind of its uh, all over the place musicality. And, you know, he's done a lot of production work. I think he produced the first Randy Newman Newman album and has definitely done a lot of string arrangement stuff over the years. Uh, more recently, he's worked with, I say more recently in the last 25 years with groups like Silverchair, uh, Joanna Newsom. I'm trying to think there was someone else, but he's one of those that just kind of always pops up. He's done film scores. He's one of these figures that just seems to be there and really brought a new flavor to the rock music at the time that, you know, has, has lasted. And again, I keep on going back to the Brian Wilson collaborations, but when we think of the Brian Wilson myth and these incredible experiments in the studio and these pocket symphonies and all that stuff, Van Dyke Parks is very much a part of that, providing that lyrical balance to the music going on. He might be a little too, I don't want to say outsider, but he doesn't have those big flashy moments like a Giorgio Moroder mm-hmm. or a, a Sly and Robbie, where he really kind of brought, uh, helped bring a certain type of music to the forefront. But I'm just a big fan of the guy. He's made some of my favorite albums ever. And um, uh, I just love VDP, baby. yeah you know he's still like he seems like the type of figure where it's like cool if you know him and like younger artists he will work with like there's there's a woman who is local to la uh named gabby moreno who has collaborated with him just across the border like this almost cool avuncular type figure now in music uh, who will lend his expertise and you know if you know the smile sessions and you and you know the weird stuff he was making for warner brothers records back in the in the 70s or whatever you know that this is a guy who's got an interesting approach and is a music guy to his bones yeah Absolutely. The last few names I want to talk about that are kind of undefinable. You know, we talked about, there's like a lot of people still from the wrecking crew who could get in. I think there is a case to be made for one of the great session musicians from that group who also probably could get on, get in on the ballot if he was on the ballot, but that's Glenn Campbell. Mm. Yes. Obviously like a name that people know and love. He had a long and successful career as a solo artist. But there's this other element to him where he played on like, I get around and uh, all, all these songs from that era, so many that we don't even know. It's similar to Carol Kay. It's just like probably thousands. And those guys were just in sessions that like they don't even really remember. But he's all over so much music and then also has this super successful solo career. But yeah, again, I'll put him on the ballot like. I think people would vote for Glenn Campbell. Absolutely. And I believe he briefly was a member of the touring Beach Boys group when I think it was, maybe he was before Bruce Johnston or maybe so. he filled in, right. something like that. But, you know, uh, again, one of those guys that had this whole amazing other career before he ever was 
Glenn Campbell country music star. Yeah. Um, and, and one of those that just when you talk about guitarists and, and stuff like that, I mean, he had the chops, you know, people really, it wasn't just, oh, you know, he's a pretty good guitar player for a, a country music singer, whatever. I mean, he made his, his name playing 12 string guitar and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of these sessions and on pet sounds. Yeah. And then the last name I'll throw out there is another group. That's their, an artist in their own right, put out songs that were popular, but were also backup musicians. And that's the Barquets. Uh-huh. The Barquets backed up Otis Redding, Isaac Hayes, other artists from Stax records. But then they also have these songs like soul finger. Or, you know, too hot to stop. stop Huge hits while being they're all they're similar to like the meters of the JBs in that way. Mm-hmm. They're a great band with songs credited to them, but then also they did so much work backing up these incredible artists. Yeah. Get them in. Get Put them in. in. Do a big, do a big old induction. Let's get them all in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they had that that one great year where they knocked out. I know this was different because it's for the main artist, but, you know, they put the famous flames and the blue, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. who the blue caps are, you know, all yeah. those great comets, um, crickets. Yeah, exactly. Comets, crickets, um, <laughs> uh, starfish, Donders, Blitzes, and, yeah. um, and they could still do that, you know, because yeah. they're yeah. still like the why are the whalers not in? Yeah, if Bob yeah. Marley's in, that doesn't really yep. make a ton of sense. And even like I, I know you would have to induct probably 53 people, but the mothers of invention, you know, not I really being thought you're gonna say polyphonic spree. <laughs> Put in the spree. Uh but yeah, no, everybody's yeah. clamoring yeah. for it. Yeah. And so yeah. I mean, sometimes there is this thing of like, you know, like the funk brothers were the Motown backup group, but like that's a long list, and I don't even know how you begin to try and induct those folks but you know what give it a give it a shot i think i have one final undefinable um and i and at this i don't i mean this a hundred percent sincerity there's been a lot of talk in recent years about weird al yankovic having a spot in the rock hall and this feels like a way to acknowledge that he has been a really important force in the sense of like no one has done it at the level he has. No one has done it within the rock pop medium like he has. But I could see the rock hall using this as a way to be like, okay, yes, he's important. You know, when you got parodied by Weird Al, you knew you had made it. All of that stuff. He's got the longevity. He's helped identify the trends and all that. But we don't want to give the formality of a regular induction. Do you foresee or you know is there a world where this is how weird al gets into the rock hall let me ask you a question do you think that weird al is musically excellent you stole the words from my mouth that's exactly (laughs) what i was gonna say Uh, yeah i mean do we like weird al is weird al famous because of the excellence of his music no i well i mean i i I guess I disagree about that. I mean, I, I he think- He is parodying other people's music. We can appreciate that he does have musical ability and then often beyond what you would expect, but Weird Al is not the icon that he is because of his excellence in music, if we are being honest uh, with ourselves. I'm, I, I well, I mean- And I, this is Joe, but big, you don't, he's, a, he's a weird I'm guy. I'm a huge Weird Al fan. 
I, I love weird out. You don't think there's something, I, I mean, I don't want to split hairs here or anything, but you don't think there's something like there's some skill or prowess to taking these songs, replicating them, finding. I think he's very skilled. I think he's very unique. I think he's very skilled. And I'm also just parroting a, a you know, a conversation that we, cause he comes up on the show. You, sure. you wouldn't be surprised to learn that we have a few, uh, you know, yankers out there on the show i i yeah. would say if they chose to do it i think this yeah. would be a weird category given the name yeah okay but you know given the name weird al maybe you put him in the weird category <laughs> weird excellence I, I just don't see where else i just don't see where else he would I, I mean, I guess you could put him in the category, or you know, the the one they put the executives and journals. I, I don't know. I just it, you can't it put him in as like, a non-performer either. Non, it's tough. It's tough. Right. Uh, that's right. That's right. He's not. But like, right, imagine, right. so, yeah, you get in as musical excellence the year after yeah. Weird Al. Yeah. Or the same year or as the Weird same Al. Year. Yeah. I don't know. It's just well, like I mean, it is. Yeah. It it is a strange something about Weird Al that's strange. Uh, <laughs> the strange huh. Alfred. No, I mean, like, the Weird Al question comes up a lot. Uh, the yeah. reason it comes up a lot is because I don't think there's, like, a definitive answer to right. it. You know, there's a lot of discussion to be had about Weird Al Yankovic. I think my line is that, ultimately, he is, without a doubt, in the Recording Industry Hall of Fame, which sometimes the Rock Hall feels like the Recording Industry Hall of Fame. So maybe there's mm -hmm. a place for him. But I don't think his contribution to the movement forward of rock and roll and music is really what we love about Weird Al. And that ultimately it is the comedic content that is what, coupled with musical ability and at times innovation, but it really, it's the comedic content that is the bottom line for Weird Al. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the last thing I'll say, and, and I'll, I'll drop it, I, I, I totally get all that. I think where, and, I, and again, I'm, Look, maybe this isn't, maybe this doesn't, you know, this probably is, is an explanation for why he's not musically excellent. I, I guess to me, because, you know, the category is so flexible. Mm -hmm. I'm, even though it started as Sidemen, you know, to me, it's kind of become this thing of someone who, who made an impact in the medium, not enough of an impact that we want to put them as a regular artist, whatever the case is. But I would just say this, I think of the songs that I, the rock songs that I learned about because of the Weird Al version first. Now, maybe that's the exact argument, right? Well, great, a kid learning about Lola by the Kinks from Yoda is not <laughs> a good argument, right? But I think there is something to be said about him being that in his nerdy comedic style, him helping to point the way to, oh yeah, this is a parody of this song that you might not know or this. That thing again. I'm not saying that is the if reason, you like but I do. Eat it. You might like beat it. <laughs> well, yeah. that's different. I mean, because that mm -hmm. is such a huge. Mm -hmm. It's different for the ones where it's like, yeah, but you know, you, you would know I, the song, I, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're well, saying. Let's not you forget I mean, all but... those polkas he wrote. The original polkas. <laughs> okay, all right. Look, I'll take my <laughs> arguments to the polka hall of fame, but you know, uh, to the polka song parody. Uh, circle he better, by the way, I know you're kidding, but he better be in the Polka Hall of Fame. Oh, like, come on. I, for, right? That would sure. be the snub. Like, no, yeah. yeah. No, no yeah, I'm, wait, I'm The Polka here. Hall of Fame award better be called a Yankovic. Yeah. For okay, Frankie Ringo Starr and Al, yeah. is in the Polka Hall of Fame. I don't know why Ringo's in there, but it says that 
uh, okay, Polka McCartney, who is apparently Paul McCartney's <laughs> Polka persona. Oh, um, anyway, I just wanted to get, I, I hadn't thought about the Weird Al thing prior to this, but in our talking about it, he popped into my head and I thought, again, mm-hmm. knowing that he is a perennial, should he be, should he this and that? Yeah. I wanted, I might, I, it was like, if ever, is this the way? Mm-hmm. Um, I get I'm it. hearing loud and clear hell no <laughs> right but you know we don't we don't ultimately make the decisions that's just my that's my opinion on the thing Opi- an opinion that haunts me as someone who <laughs> is what you described like i i learned about so much music through the weird out parodies he was the guy who i was like i want all his albums but also i became a comedian yeah that's it that's his legacy you know i think yeah what yeah. you're saying, we finished the story, and it's a, then for those people, they go into comedy. They, you know, yeah. they if everyone those. was picking up accordions, <laughs> then that would be a, maybe a different, you know, in writing accordion, that might be different. Yeah, but right, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I think yeah. w- worth worth bringing up though, and I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you brought up all the names you did, and I'm glad that you joined us, Jameson. This was yeah. always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Love talking about this with you all. And I, I think if nothing else, we uh, we gave some people at home, Weird Al style, uh, maybe some names to check out if they don't. I, I would imagine all your listeners are more than familiar with these great artists. But at the end of the day, they have a spot in my personal Hall of Fame. Hopefully Cleveland finds a spot for them, too. Well said. Ooh, well said. Uh, anything you'd like to plug, your social media or anything else? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jameson Webb, J-A-M-I-S-O-N-W-E-B-B. And I'm occasionally on TV and stuff. And I have a beard. So if you see a guy with a beard, that's me. He's got a beard. <laughs> it's a big development for all of us. Definitely big, him. Yeah, big turn. yeah, definitely me. Just come up, say, hi, I'm. are you Jameson? If I've got a beard... Yes. Uh, and our listeners know they can follow us at RockallPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to designate that somewhere in there. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it. She doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. Anything less than five would be rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares? About the Rock Hall. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.